0: Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 125 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. It is the 6th of December 2017. Returning from an absence due to technical difficulties <laughs> um, beyond his control, um, Scott the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, Scott.
1: Good thanks. How are you, Trevor?
0: Very good. And returning. Please do. Returning again, the 12th man, who's becoming quite a fixture of late, but the the audience is clamouring for more of the 12th man.
2: Oh, scene. good. Happy happy to with, <laughs> be with you tonight, Fist and Love. Very good.
0: G'day, tr- g'day, Paul. How are you?
1: I'm
2: very well, thanks. How are you? That's
1: really good, thank you. Yeah.
2: So we've got the three of us, and we've got plenty to
0: talk about. And first the cab off the rank is my little uh, project, the Secular Index, dear listener. That is starting to come along, because... Well, what we had in the Senate was the debate over the same-sex marriage. And we had people who were arguing whether they wanted special religious freedom amendments to the legislation. And I figure if you're arguing for special religious freedom amendments, that knocks you down a notch or two in terms of secularity. And it's, it's bringing people out of the woodwork. Like uh, Jackie Lambie, for example, I had previously entered her as a 5 because I couldn't find anything about her, but she bobs up on Q and A, um, and says that you know she wanted exemptions for religious reasons. Mm. Where may I? You know, we'll drop it down? She's dropped down to a three. So,
2: <laughs> do you know? Does she have any particular religious affiliation?
0: It's hard to know with Jackie, which what it is. I'm sure it'd be Christian rather than Muslim. Put it that way.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Safe bet.
0: Which she manages to combine with her Aboriginal and her Scottish ancestry, yeah. yeah, which we've discussed about previously in the podcast. So, so anyway, the this debate, Scott, like when we started this podcast two and a half years ago, could we have imagined a situation where you know, secular you know, secular attitudes would be so exposed as they are in this debate? Really, people are coming out no, of the woodwork exactly. now. are being yeah. showing up,
1: yeah, yeah, they
0: are. So, yeah. and
1: I. Mm. Go on. So yeah.
0: this is a high point of relevance for the podcast, I reckon, mm-hmm. um, the goings-on in Australia and, you know, the, the sort of the cake bakery discussions that we're actually having in Australia that are not just exactly. in the United yeah. States. Um, so, yeah, secularism mm-hmm. is uh, is more relevant than ever, I reckon. Anyway, so the index is coming along, dear listener, and the marriage debate is flushing people out and... I've nearly completed the Senate candidates. Got a few left and I suspect most of them will be a five because they're ones who just haven't cropped up easily. And mm. um, and I even I sort of downloaded it into a spreadsheet and was playing around with it and there will be some really interesting statistics that we'll be able to draw as to correlations between their secularity and the religion that they hold and between the Liberal National Party versus Labor, and um, it's going to be a good press release out of this, I'm sure. So, <laughs> so stay tuned, dear listener. The Senate's nearly done, and we'll have the vote in the House of Reps coming up, and that will flush out a few more. And um, I think the index is going to be valuable. In fact, Scott, when I type in politicians' names now and religion or secular... Yeah. On Google, on the first page, our little podcast website is, is coming right? up quite often. <laughs> wow. When you type these politicians' names and secular, the IFVG index page is coming up.
2: Well so, done, fist and glove, I say. So there you go. <laughs> mm.
0: Maybe just well done, fist, because bloody glove hasn't done much at all. But oh. <laughs> oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I take it back. Um, one thing I am noticing, Scott, is... Uh, you know, dealing with these Senate candidates and just looking them up in the, in the in the Labor Party, these the number of senators who were just colourless union officials whose mm-hmm. Wikipedia page says nothing other than a member of X Y Z train union and has been a politician, and that's yeah. it. The, the number of just union officials in the ALP. Senate ranks who have done nothing of any other significance. It's quite disturbing, really. That's not a good background for people.
2: Are, are you not undervaluing the contribution made by our labour unions in this country?
0: I think we need a better spread. Like, if there was just a few, it would be okay. Yeah. But there really is a lot of them. Yeah. are just these colourless people who have not run businesses hmm. and uh, and have been you know, closeted away in some union office somewhere for most and of their
1: I life. Think, I think you're right there because you've got a situation that you've got, what is it, 12 or 15% of the workforce are members of a trade union. Hmm. But then when you look at the percentage of union members in the caucus for the ALP, it's something like 40 or 50% of them are unionists or it could be even higher than that, I couldn't tell you, but um, it is quite high. And I do think that the ALP has to move with the times. You know, I think they're going to have to cut back the influence of the trade unions.
0: Yeah, well, you know, the, the calibre of people they've got is of a, of a particular ilk in the in the Senate at the moment. So mm. a, few, a few interesting characters coming out in terms of their secularity. Uh, Doug Cameron came out and...
1: Yeah, his, he gave a very good speech. Uh, he... Brought up the uh, the links between because um, they, they were arguing for religious freedom, and he said, "Hang on a minute, my grandkids have got to go into a cl- have got to go and sit outside the classroom when the religious people have got control over the kids."
0: Mm. You know. Yep. So, and he, mm. he made a few other speeches then. When you look that uh, that make him a good. Um, he, he rates reasonably highly on the index now. What did I put him down at? Uh, let's see if I can find him here. Uh, he scores an eight at the end of the day, yeah. So let okay. will see what he. other things he said, if my internet will let me do it. I've yeah, got a slow connection, so I'll come back to that. Other ones who came up, Pat Dodson. Um, you're familiar with Pat Dodson?
1: He's the Aboriginal guy from Western Australia, isn't he? Yeah.
0: Did, did you yeah. know that he was an ordained priest?
1: No, I had no idea.
0: Really. Talkman?
2: Oh, I didn't know until roughly last week. I think uh, his ca- his name came up in one of the things we were looking at.
0: Yeah, but sort of left the priesthood when struggling to put it together with his Aboriginal That's right. spiritual that keyword
2: reconcile. He yes. couldn't reconcile his aboriginality and uh the the christian so-called faith
0: yes or in fact i think the catholic faith didn't like the way that he was reconciling it oh really yes that sort of reading between the lines was Mm. what happened there so so didn't know that about him uh have you heard that's very interesting have you heard of a jonathan uh from tasmania at all no uh liberal party tasmania in the senate uh in researching him, he's described as the ideological love child of Erica Betts. So, oh, wow. Good God. <laughs> oh.
2: That would be quite a burden to carry through life, wouldn't it? Apparently used to work for him as one of his in-house
1: assistants. And, and what was his name?
0: Jonathan Duniam. D-U-N-I-A-M. So,
1: I haven't got him listed here as voting.
0: Uh... uh yeah, well, maybe... No, Jonathan Dunham, yeah, he yeah. did vote yes. Yes, well, that's what I was going to talk to you about because just before the podcast started, we were discussing people like Matthias Cormann... Yes. ..who voted yeah. yes, and I think what's hap- You can't rely just on that vote because sometimes these politicians, I think, have got a bit going each way... Like, they'll make comments in newspapers or in other forums saying, I'm against um, same-sex marriage. But then they voted for same-sex marriage so that they've got something that they can hang their hat on depending on the audience that they're speaking to at the time.
1: To well, be- that really wouldn't surprise me because um, Matthias Corman, I think he was, uh, he'd was he always said that he would vote the way his state votes. And Westminster voted yes. So he had no choice but to vote yes in the end. But he probably stood up and voted for the religious amendments and all that sort of stuff. Once they were all defeated it came to a final vote. He was left with the choice of voting yes or voting no, so he probably chose to vote yes. Correct.
0: That's how it's panned yeah. out a few times. So just because somebody Well voted I mean George
1: index. Brandis George Brandis was the one that was pushing those religious amendments. Mm. And he's he's listed there as voting yes. So, you know.
0: Mm. So fear not, dear listener, as we compile the index, we're taking all this into account and looking <laughs> behind the scenes. So uh in the USA, Senate just passed uh, crazy legislation, rushed through the Senate, 50-page uh, document just handed to the Democrats with half an hour to read it. No. The Can document, they do that? 50-page? Um, uh, sorry, 500-page document.
2: and With 30 minutes to read it? Uh,
0: yes. And so they had no chance to even read it. And there was even a whole bunch of just handwritten amendments um, written in the margin of the document
2: that it, are almost seems highly irregular, doesn't it? It does. Would that, would that happen in the Australian Parliament? I can't imagine it happening so, yet. So but, why does it happen in America? Well, because the
1: Americans the Americans have got a situation where the Republicans control both houses of Congress. So as a result, but if don't, you've don't got they got have numbers, You can get away with
2: anything. Don't they have well, procedures? Well, apparently not. I mean apparently not i mean that's not democracy where you you hand the opposition politicians' five hundred page documents with half an hour to read them that can't that, that that's that's a joke
1: I know it's a joke, but they've got away with it Yeah, yeah
2: they've got away with it. it 's extraordinary
0: it is extraordinary it's it's just yet another indication of
2: of of the situation America's got itself into. The brokenness of the American political system. There's no recovery. It really is broken, isn't it? And it's broken by money. Yes. It's broken by money.
1: Yeah, exactly. Money Money and influence and that sort of stuff has broken it. But you would think that uh, the gravity of what the Republicans are actually trying to get away with now would mean that they're going to be done for in the midterms, one would have hoped.
0: Well... Maybe, but the worry is that they've just got an electorate that just no longer understands what's going on. And
2: yeah, democracy that is true.
0: Democracy's yeah. no longer working in America.
2: When you and say they no longer understand, you seem well, to well, be suggesting that at some point they did understand.
0: Maybe 20 or 30 years ago they understood it? what their politicians were doing, to yeah. some extent. Mm. But certainly the level of understanding of the American population has decreased. You yeah. can't say their, their understanding of their society is anywhere
2: near where it was. They seem to be voting for different reasons, don't they? But they've become incredibly tribal. Exactly, yes. And, and, just... and when you look at some of the uh, scandalous um, information that came out about Donald Trump during the election campaign, and yet people still voted for him, you'd have to say they're, they're voting for different reasons.
0: He understood he said, "I could walk down um, Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and they 'd still vote for me. he did say that That's he was dead rock right. amazing they would it? he was dead he wasn 't kidding he was correct They would
2: that wouldn't happen here, would it I mean you can 't imagine Bill shorten saying i could I could you know walk into Alice Springs and you know punch out an Aboriginal and they 'd still vote for me
0: you know, well. <laughs> Over the last 50 years, we've had choices of, are we going to follow a European model or are we going to follow a US model? Mm. And we seem to be following the US models more than the European models mm. a, lot of, a lot of the time.
2: I'm not sure which is worse. I'm, looking I'm, what's I'm, happening
0: looking, in I'm Europe. convinced that <laughs> the, 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 if the American you look, if model it's, is
2: the worst.
1: If you're, looking, if you're looking purely at economics, the American model is far worse than the European model. Mm. You know, because at least the European model... They still have a strong welfare net. They still have yeah, universal health care. They still have recent reasonable amounts of money going into education. That's true. But
2: you know, they also have a growing bureaucracy. And, um, absolutely, they do. And it's, it's eroding, eroding do think they, their democracy.
1: Well, yeah, and the bureaucracy is, you know... It, it, well, you only have to look at Frederick Hayek's work in The the Road to Serfdom, you know, where he warned against that sort of thing. Yes. So, mm.
2: And... You know, as I mentioned today, I just acquired a copy of his book. So,
1: Yeah, I'd be interested to know what you think of it. Yeah. Mm.
2: Mm.
0: There's an article here. This is the final one. Dear listener, if you've stayed with, this, with us this long, here is your reward for your endurance, I reckon, is just this final idea. Twelfth Man or Velvet Glove, if you were going to try and breed chickens that laid lots of eggs, what, what, how do you think you'd go about it? Imagine you've got a thousand chickens already and you say, what? you know what, I really want to improve my chicken so that chickens that I've got good egg layers. I'm, I'm gonna
2: And you want to improve them in in what aspect? You want you want more ch- you want chickens that are laying even more eggs. Laying you more want... eggs. Yes. And they still get used for meat too, don't they? The it's eggs egg that you're worried about. It's, it's eggs. Okay. How would you go about it? Selective breeding. Yeah. So
0: you would look at the chickens that are producing the most eggs and you would would grab those chickens and their progeny and you would breed their progeny with the other ones that are doing... Yeah. So that seems to make sense on the face of it. Surely. Here's the article, dear listener. Um, Muir's chickens. The lesson here about market competition acting as a selection mechanism to favour firms that have... um, it's a, it's about firms and uh, competition within the firms and the sort of ethos that that these firms have in a market economy, and um, it's the experiments of William Muir who bred chickens and selected for the most productive individual egg-laying chickens. So he would grab individuals that laid lots of eggs. That was that was the sort of uh, group A. And the other one was that he would, he would select the most productive cage of egg-laying chickens, in which each cage there were nine chickens. So sometimes he went to the individual chicken, which one's the great egg-layer? Oh. Sometimes he went for a group of chickens. Which group
2: is the best egg-laying group? That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because mm. obviously the chickens in, the, in, in actual production are going to be living in groups, group cages. So...
0: The results drive home the message of group selection as a process that increases the number of cooperators and total efficiency. Mm. The first method favoured the nastiest hens who achieved their productivity by suppressing the productivity of other hens. <laughs> After six generations, Muir had produced a nation of psychopaths Ooh. who plucked and murdered each other in their incessant attacks. No wonder egg productivity plummeted. In the second approach, he selected the most productive groups, and because they were already a group that worked well together, they included peaceful and cooperative hands. Mm. I put it to you, Twelfth Man and Velvet Glove, that the United States of America is just now a nation of psychopaths who pluck and murder each
2: other in their incessant attacks. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? I mean... (laughs) There's over 300 million people over there. I know. But I think you're talking about the political class now, aren't you? It's
0: it's the, it's,
2: it's the everyone for themselves.
0: Mm. I don't want to pay anything for anybody else. Mm. I don't believe in paying tax. Tax is just the government ripping me off. Mm. I want a libertarian, leave me alone. I'll do my own thing. Mm. Sort of
2: ethos that is just tearing that country apart. I don't think that's libertarian. It sounds anarchic to me. It's going beyond libertarian, isn't it? Well, perhaps we'll just think and dwell on that one over the next week. 12 minutes. <laughs> but it's at the anarchic uh, sort of end of the libertarian spectrum, at least.
0: Well, libertarians are in favour of anarchy because they don't want government control. They don't want people telling them how they should think. Well, they don't want you're typecasting No, no, no. no, no,
2: no. You're typecasting libertarians. Uh liber- no, the, what you're i You're describing read about... them. No, you're not. You am you, describing Your, no, your you're...
0: theories just that you had you said No, before, no, no, no. no.
2: Look, left, left libertarianism um, holds that resources initially belong to everyone in some egalitarian manner. So there is such a thing as left libertarianism. It's not all sort of uh, extreme right right wing authoritarianism no, and in a, fact a authoritarianism a, wouldn't be libertarianism, libertarianism authoritarianism. Is an authoritarianism that's right
0: authoritarianism, mm.
2: authoritarianism. Yeah. yeah no i mean i think i think you're i think you're um, typecasting it as some kind of extreme ideology which it doesn't have to be i'll let the dear listener <laughs> dwell on that one yes hmm. Anyway, I thought it was interesting. It is interesting, mm.
0: yeah. Um, Scott, yes, course, Man, you guys got tattoos at all? <laughs> uh,
2: not yet.
1: Right. <laughs> no, I'm a clan skin too, I don't have any tats. No.
0: Gener- we're the generation that skipped the, t- the tattoos. We
2: totally skipped tattoos, I think, yeah. yeah. So, were you ever attracted never to... Never in the least. Nor was I, I have to say.
0: Unless you were a sailor, a prisoner or a bikey, mm. there was no reason to have a tattoo.
2: Or I once met a, an English chap of rather short stature and he had some tats on his arms and he said he got them when he was a, a young bloke mm. uh, because it, he thought it would project an, an aura of toughness and it, it would help him avoid trouble. Did that work? I don't know.
0: So um, anyway, of course, you know, they're everywhere now. I have this, it's a standard dad joke that Mm. I have. Dear listener, feel free to take this one on. But I say things (laughs) like, um, you know, when I go down to the beach, I don't bother taking a book anymore. I I just read the guy beside me. (laughs) And the same could be said when you go to the football, because footballers are just covered in tats these days. They I, certainly are. They really are. And, yeah. you know, I suppose if I could handle any tat, it would be, it would be the tribal tattoo for maybe a tribal-looking person, perhaps. But, uh, so on that score, well, article here, West Tiger star Kevin Nagama. Mm. He's got tattoos, and his are not the kind of tattoo that I would like. <laughs> Because his tattoos are verses of the Bible. He's just got plastered across his chest. And he's always getting his shirt off. Even on a cold day, uh, he gets his shirt off. And I noticed him because in the recent World Cup that's just finished, he was playing for, I think, Fiji. And there are various pictures of him leading the Fijians in prayer after the games, praising and thanking the Lord for their success on the field. Um, Honestly... (sighs) Really, your interventionist God is looking down and he's favouring you on a sporting field because you have more faith, perhaps, than the guys on the other team? Is that, is that how it works? Or You're be, better Christian. Or because you have
2: or something I, from the Bible tattooed on your body. Yeah. Do, you, do, exactly. do you get more, more credit points for that?
1: That's the point I was going to make. I think Jesus would probably take him more seriously. Yeah, just, you
0: know, wearing it on their sleeves like that. Uh anyway, uh Kevin Nagama tattooed across his chest. He's got John chapter 3 verse 16. Uh you guys familiar with that one?
2: No, would you share it?
0: That's with us?
1: Was, That's go. the that's the part where uh, it is alleged that it that uh, uh wasn't there wasn't the actual word of Jesus was it, it was the words that said um for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Oh,
0: Scott, you are superb. You know, <laughs> that's not even Matthew. Like, which is your choice book. I Man, you're really concentrated that's in those Bible power. lessons.
2: That's the power of childhood indoctrination.
0: <laughs>
1: it is. They've burned
2: it into his brain. It
1: came from, I don't think it came from my parents. I think it came from the school and that sort of stuff that I uh,
2: attended. And... Um, Scott, you've got an excellent
0: memory for these things. The Bible verses do, yeah. And, yeah. and politicians are your special <laughs> categories.
2: And look, if your current career doesn't work out, Scott, I, I think you're still young enough to make a career change. And,
1: um, <laughs> well, become a preacher. Well, you could,
2: you could join the Hillsong group. You could, <laughs> I, I reckon you'd get up there on the stage and belt out a few verses from the Bible. Yeah. Maybe have you had any singing lessons? Because that usually. No, I haven't helps.
1: had any singing lessons or anything like
0: that.
2: You and might then, consider uh,
1: it. I don't. I don't think they'd like this. The uh, the better half, though, would they?
0: They might struggle with that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> I'd have to get myself. I'd have to get myself a trophy wife to take along. Yeah. The,
0: the other, of course, uh, Nagam is not satisfied with one Bible verse on his chest and body. He's got another one, uh, Romans. Uh, chapter 10, verse 9. Scott, that's a more difficult one. I don't think you'll know that one. Do you?
1: No, I knew a little bit of Romans, but I couldn't say the chapters and verses or anything like that. So um, I couldn't tell. Uh,
0: I'm just referring... Start me off and see how I go. I'm referring here to the Skeptics Annotated Bible. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved.
1: No, don't know that one. It's
0: all about uh, salvation by faith alone, isn't it? So so he's got that. That's his tattoo, which um, I've got issues with. But (laughs) dear listener, came across a tattoo, which this might be a reason to have a tattoo. There was a guy in Florida who had no documentation and was in some sort of uh, physical difficulty needing potentially resuscitation. And the doctors uh, ripped off his shirt, ready to resuscitate him. And lo and behold, on his chest is a tattoo saying, do not resuscitate. Resuscitate. And apparently
2: his signature tattooed underneath. So he obviously thought of that. Yes. He thought of this scenario where the doctors are sort of trying to decide, is this legitimate or not? So he's had his signature tattooed on his chest underneath. Yes. It's amazing.
0: In a situation where you don't have... Because it, it turns out, dear listener, that the doctors looked at that and immediately were like, whoa, well, what do we do here? Because... Does e- it have e- e- any legal standard? Yes. And so they quickly rang an ethicist who said, do the bare minimum until you can try and find out more details, which they then got his identity, and there was a proper legal document saying, do not resuscitate, kind of like our advanced health directive. And so they proceeded no further with with what they were about to do, and he, in fact, passed away. Oh, did he? And... It was a situation where he had a number of health issues, uh, all sorts of things going wrong with him, and he knew he didn't want to be resuscitated because of all these other issues. And um, so there you go, dear listener, a, perhaps a legitimate use of a tattoo. If ever I was to get one, that would be the
2: one. I, I don't Seems know how more I, useful than the tattoo see, of the Bible I, verse. It, it, it does well. Yes. It,
1: it is. It is far more useful than the tattoo of the Bible verses. But the problem that I have with it is that. You'd have to get it after you were diagnosed with something, you know, because that guy had other existing problems and that mm. sort of thing, so I can understand him not wanting to be resuscitated. Yeah. However, the three of us, were all in relatively good health, so there probably would be a point to
2: resuscitate us. Right. So at what point, um, Glove, would you consider having that tattoo <laughs> on your chest?
1: If I was diagnosed with something pretty, if I was diagnosed with lung cancer or something like that, I would probably say do not resuscitate. Mm. I would give chemotherapy one try and if it didn't work, then I'd just take the South of France option and just...
2: South of France,
1: yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. Look, I'd, I'd, I'd say, pack up and move over there for I three say months the, until
2: the, I died. the ordeal of the tattoo would be wholly unnecessary. You just wear a little thing around your neck, don't yeah. you, these a, days?
0: A, a dog tag, yeah. a large dog tag with instructions inside yeah. you would think would be sufficient, yeah. That'll, that'll, yeah, that'll do me. Yeah. Now, I would struggle to get a good signature tattoo, you know, Ooh. myself looking in the mirror as well. I hear they're so, quite painful. Yes, I believe they are. Yeah,
2: I'm allergic to pain, so yeah. they're yeah. out for me.
0: There you go. That's an interesting one. Look, it wouldn't be a podcast <laughs> lately if we didn't talk about cake shops.
2: Cake shops. <laughs> Ooh.
0: Dear listener, first of all, before we really get into the nuts and bolts of it, um, so, well, the interesting thing is that we are currently... just We've just finished in the Senate a discussion, and we're about to have in the House of Reps a discussion about exemptions to marriage equality and the religious groups wanting... Or the the religious freedom advocates wanting special laws inserted into the legislation to allow private business owners to discriminate against gay couples when it comes to providing services that would be used in a wedding wedding ceremony for a same-sex couple. Mm. And exactly the same time, across in the Pacific, the Supreme Court is hearing the Masterpiece Cake Shop case.
2: In the United States. Yes,
0: where um, they are discussing the ability of the... Guy who runs the Masterpiece Cake Shop, mm-hmm. uh, his so-called freedom of expression right mm-hmm. to refuse to supply a wedding cake to um, a same-sex couple. Mm-hmm. Over there. So we're simultaneously discussing essentially the same issue.
2: Mm-hmm. Incredible real. It is interesting.
0: So what is interesting is that in the US case what we need to be aware of, dear listener, is um, a group called Alliance Defending Freedom. And what they've got over there are... Um, Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF, has mushroomed over the past few years into a Christian right powerhouse. Founded 24 years ago because, as its long-time long-term president, Alan Sears, once put it, The Homosexual Agenda Threatens Religious Freedom. So they now rival some of the the USA's top private law firms in Supreme Court activity. They've trained thousands of lawyers, many who have gone on to government service at the federal, state and local levels. The organisation helps shape religious freedom legislation. It provides grants to other Christian right organisations And presses school districts to adopt its model policies. So um, uh, it's become a training ground for right wing lawyers or hard, you know, conservative religious lawyers. Um, At least, um, let me just see, scroll down a few bits here. Yeah, so they're getting involved in a lot of the... So, for example, the cake shop guy in the US, they're looking after his case for him. Mm. So they're providing yeah. it all free of charge. And, oh, really? And just a team of lawyers who yeah. now have got substantial experience in Supreme Court constitutional sort of battles. Mm. They've got this legal army fighting these sorts of fights in the USA. mm with well, man and velvet glove what normally happens in the USA usually
1: happens over here about, here, about 10 it? years later yeah. mm. well and we're
0: getting it ahead of time then so what's the Australian equivalent <laughs> you know, do they call themselves the religious nutters you know legal advocacy group or something something as obvious as that
1: no they call themselves the Australian Christian lobby
0: well well, well, the Australian Christian Lobby is supporting a group called the Human Rights Law Alliance.
1: Oh, for God's sake. Human
0: rights. That's right. So this is now the Australian equivalent of that sort of US-style legal fighting group. So they've kicked off the Human Rights Law Alliance. And remember, dear listener, we spoke about... Kathy Club, who was arrested under Victorian laws, making it a crime to protest within 150 meters of an abortion clinic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember we had we former Greens that. leader mm-hmm. who who won a case on freedom of speech, allowing him to protest the um, wood sort of chipping um, or the wood felling that was going on in Tasmania.
2: Oh, the ex-Greens leader? Yes, Bob Brown. Bob oh, Brown. Oh, he, yeah.
0: He found an implied right in the Constitution that allowed him to protest yes. uh, that activity. And, of course, the Christian groups have said, you beauty, an implied yes. right in the Constitution? That would mean our group can protest.
2: Outside the abortion clinic.
0: Exactly. Mm. And the Human Rights Law Alliance, funded by the Australian Christian lobby is working for Cathy Club and no doubt will work for other groups who are going to run, you know, Christian freedom of religion cases. We need, dear listener, a secular alternative. It's the only thing, you know. We need...
2: Can can the secular alternative also use the... um the mantle of human rights in its title?
0: (laughs) I mean, trust trust them to do that.
2: I I mean, why don't they call it the the Christian Law Alliance? I mean, that's... That'd be too honest. (laughs) The Human Rights Law Alliance, it's... um...
0: Yes, so dear listener, what we need is some sort of secular version of our own Mm -hmm. legal team Mm -hmm. to help people who are going to be involved in battles um, against this sort of group. So the um, the Human Rights Law Alliance, is that what I said they were called? Uh, Yes. Um, Funded by private donors with seed funding from the ACL, currently attempting to raise $120,000 through crowdfunding on the ACL website. It will be a not-for-profit charitable body and does not have a team of lawyers on staff. It's an alliance network with allies that are lawyers and barristers to essentially do pro bono or very cheap work. And having put their hand up, that in a pool of people who have different areas of expertise, this guy says. Um, at the moment, they've got about five lawyers working on between 12 and 15 cases. And they want to have a fighting fund. And he says that if marriage equality were legalised after a plebiscite, the alliance would not challenge same-sex marriage itself, but believes there would be other legal areas in which freedom, in which the freedoms it seeks to protect could be under threat. Um, blah, blah, blah. So there we go. There's just another group that we're going to, have to keep an eye on, is the uh, legal team supported by the ACL, who are going to be running these sorts of things, somebody needs to start a secular...
2: Secular Human Rights Legal Alliance. Mm. Law Alliance.
0: Mm. Um, Because that's what's happening in the States. Mm. And... Oh, 12th Man. I don't know whether we want to get into...
2: Well, you you wanted to link this with libertarianism, didn't you? Well... uh... At least with my position on... um... Small businesses or artisans uh, having, yes. having the legal right to reject business or contract with people they didn't want to deal with. Yeah. Now, you know, I mean, y- you know that I'm I'm personally not in favour of specifically discriminating against homosexual couples or, you know, people who are not white or whatever. I, I, I just am in favour of freedom um, for people in business to, to deal with... Who they want to deal with. You, I think I made that position reasonably clear last time, didn't I? You, you did. Um,
0: and in previous discussions, you've said, look, if it's a cake that's just an off-the-shelf, stock-standard cake, then you are happy for the cake maker to be forced to supply it. I am
2: happy for that, yeah. Yep.
0: And w- what was your feeling on Floris?
2: Who were asked to provide floral decorations? Yeah, that's it. Well, it's it's a bit of a grey area, isn't it? Because the, I mean, they don't make the flowers; they just put them together in bunches. It is a, a kind of artistic work in a sense, but it's pretty, for me, pretty low down on the scale of artistic merit, if you know what I mean. So they should be forced to. I don't know. I I mean, you know, I'm I'm in favour of. As as I've already said, freedom you know of people in business to, if they don't want to do business, um, why should they be compelled to do business? I mean, as as we know, yeah,
0: but, but we've got we've got to be able to identify
2: these people. Yeah.
0: Because, so a, a florist, should but they look be in, in
2: in reality, they might just say, "I'm sorry, but uh, yeah. you know, we're we closed that weekend." Yeah, or we'll get to that.
0: But just let's just identify a few categories. A florist, you know. Gay a couple walks in and says, we'd like to have, you know, wedding floral arrangement for our wedding.
2: Yeah. Look, I, I, I personally don't think they have much, um, much ground so they to stand be, on.
0: they should be able to. They should be forced unless, to
2: Unless Unless it was, you know, some some very specific uh, request for some very specific okay. arrangement. photographer? You know, if it's wedding just photogra- bunches of flowers. Wedding photographer? Wedding photographer. If, if it was me as a, as a wedding photographer, I, I would like to think I can choose whose wedding I want to So photograph.
0: you think photographers should be able
2: just to say no? I, I think everybody should be able to say no. No, but true. you don't think flora should be? And oh, you don't think a stated... Okay. No, I do think florists should be able to. Oh, but... no,
0: you're a slippery customer with this.
2: Oh No, seriously. No, my point you're being...
0: So you're back to the florist. No, my
2: point being everybody should be able to refuse service <laughs> to somebody they didn't, don't want to deal with. You know, I gave you the example no, no. Of, the, of the motorcycle mechanic some weeks back.
0: No, no, no. Can, can I just get through this list? Because I thought I had something worked out, and then you've just backtracked. So you've said already... Standard cake off the shelf must be supplied to a gay couple. I think couple. so. But you're now saying florists do not have to.
2: Well, because florists... So florists do not have to. Some Photographers do arti- not have to. Correct. Well, again, a f- photography restaurant. is... Restaurant. A restaurant.
0: Yeah. A chef, you know, presents a meal, yeah. a, you know, in a certain manner. And that restaurant has a certain ambience that they create for mm. there. So yes or no?
2: I, my position is everybody should okay. be able to refuse service... Hotels? ...to people they don't want to deal with. Hotels? Uh, look, you know, my so position a, yeah. okay. is everybody should be able to refuse service.
0: Bartender? Refuse service? If if makes, a if mixologist? They, no,
2: they're, they're just mixing a drink and serving a drink. Well, no, well, there's why? some
0: artistic expression done in that. Like you're is mixing...
2: There? Yes. Really? Is, is as much as it, much Do you think... It? As much as a cake baker, I don't think so. I don't think mixing drinks together is very artistic, frankly. Oh, so...
0: okay, so a bartender should be forced to serve a drink because the cocktail that he mixes up to his own special recipe is not
2: artistic. I don't think it's very high up on the scale of artistic, is it?
0: Could I put it to you that some cocktails are so... Elaborate mm. then perhaps there's more artistic merit to them than there is to a wedding coat.
2: Sorry, I don't buy that.
0: Okay, so you're saying bart- bartenders... Are <laughs> Look,
2: most- just serving drinks, for goodness a sake. A
0: hairdresser?
2: A hairdresser's very artistic.
0: Should they be forced to do somebody's <laughs> I don't scared? think
2: they should be forced to, no. But my point is, again, I don't think anybody should be forced to sell their services to people they don't want to sell them to. Yes.
0: So, well, all but a bartender
2: is, is not selling a service. A bartender is just working in, in you, a bar. You, you're downplaying the skills no, of a no, good bartender. No, 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 no. no, but they're not selling a service. Bar, I mean, if it's, if it's some individual who owns the bar he's, he's, and he, he doesn't want to host a same-sex couples here's, here's the banquet...
0: Conf- here's the conflict. See,
2: you take the view that...
0: Oh, look. All somebody has to do is just go to the next shop down the road. And that's accept. right. So what harm In is In the done? big
2: city, that is the case. What, what harm is done?
0: That's, that's you're, is, is basically the position you've got. They're
2: giving up that prospect of, of earning some money for their business. Yes. Because they don't particularly so, so, want to deal so, with someone so
0: here's the two competing rights.
2: I can think of people I wouldn't want to do, do,
0: deal business with. Here are the two competing rights here, okay? or the, the two harmful situations mm. placed up against each other. On the one hand, you've got a baker or a florist or a photographer mm-hmm. being forced to do for one person what they are willing to do for thousands of other people. Mm-hmm. So... That's, on the one hand, somebody being forced to do something for one group that they would do for thousands of others, mm-hmm. versus a gay couple who are suffering the indignity of being denied service, being told they are not as equal or deserving as thousands of others. Mm. So, I, look, I agree. It's so a disgrace So you disgraceful... don't see that you think it's simply go down to the next shop You'll be fine. But that doesn't fix the the affront to the dignity of these people. Indeed. It's not like that just gets... I mean, you take your kid in with you to get some service and the person says, No, I'm not serving you because you're black or you're gay. Get out of my fucking shop. And you, with your son, have to walk out and go down to the next shop. And, and you have to explain to your children, because it's not just the person who's been denied, it's their family as well, and say, yeah. mate, we're actually considered second-class citizens in this world. See that other guy there? He walked in and got served, but we didn't. Yes. Now, that's an affront to somebody's dignity. I agree. And it's not fixed just by being able to go down to the road to the black cake maker.
2: It may not be, Trevor. And 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 it's it's disgraceful behaviour. The
0: small small inconvenience for the baker florist or photographer who is forced to do for somebody what he would do for thousands of other people...
2: That's the weighing I, up. Well, look, if I, can, if I can get a word in here, well, I think no, it's I've disgraceful behaviour. Like... You're, yeah. you're looking very passionate about this and I, I can understand your feelings. It's disgraceful behaviour, but my, my reckoning of it is that that business deserves the opprobrium of the no. whole community and perhaps the business might suffer and the business might fail as a result. But I still don't feel that the government has a right or has a, has a legitimate role in mandating morality
0: dear listener help me
2: i've done my best <laughs>
0: i've i've look dear listener i've got, i've actually given the argument yes i've tried from the supreme court of the united states master cake shop jack phillips versus colorado civil rights commission and it's a 50 page it's the amicus brief um, done by the Secular Coalition for America, American Atheists, and the Centre for Inquiry. Yeah. And that's essentially their argument, is the one i just put Well, look, if I, if I different... can
2: put it to you, we, we have a, I think, we pr- probably share a pretty strong antipathy to the- theocracy, right? Now, what is a theocracy? A theocracy is where the the people in positions of political power mandate morality and mandate what they consider to be correct and proper behaviour. Now, I was under the impression we were against that kind, of, that kind of idea. Now, what's the difference between that and our government, so-called secular government, mandating morality to the whole community and telling us... It's
0: not mandating morality, it it's mandating, mandating action.
2: It's mandating morality. It's
0: saying, I don't care what you think of it and what, you, what your thoughts are, this is what you're going to do. So it says, I'm not trying to change your morals... Well, I'm just telling you what you're going to do if you're going to... if And, by the way, dear listener, they use my sort of social contract theory in this as well. So, uh, all the things I've just said, plus it says here, and I'm just going to find a bit. Uh, I might have to edit this little section, guys, but I'm, going to, I'm determined to find it. <laughs> oh, dear, dear listener, it says, Masterpiece Cake Shop is a for-profit business existing to generate income and... They've chosen to place themselves into the stream of commerce and to profit from their activities. Mm. That entering the stream of commerce means you obey the rules of commerce that we supply. So mm-hmm. I'm not trying to enforce morals. On it these is people. a kind of morality. No, no, it's it's an action. It's in the same way I'm saying you've got to change the oil in the deep fryer every three, you know, two weeks or whatever. Uh, I'm not changing their morality, I'm just telling them what they've got to do.
2: No, changing the oil in the deep fryer is is a matter of public safety, it's not morality. This
0: this is a matter of public safety as well, believe it or not.
2: I I disagree. Mm. Well, dear listener,
0: I've done my best, I've got nothing left. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, um, 12th man, sitting on the Supreme Court of the USA, you would actually allow this um, appeal by... Uh,
2: masterpiece mm.
0: Bakery, there we go
2: I would not agree with them, I would not approve of their position, but yes I would defend their right to you know, sell their cakes to the people they want to sell their cakes to, I'm oh. sorry
0: it's Libertarian View, so interestingly I was at a podcast meetup last Wednesday and there was a couple of guys there who were from the Liberal Democrats, David mm-hmm. Leinholm's group, and, oh. and they were right into, well to One Guy in particular this whole sort of Libertarian sort
2: of yeah. ideal, yeah. yeah. So but libra- not, libertarianism not, is, is on a spectrum as well. You know that, don't you? Well, they're not a the spectrum, they're right. not a, a narrow mm. uh, ideological group by any means.
0: I'm sure there's a spectrum of,
2: mm. of quite a of wide spectrum, ideology. in fact.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And again, it comes down to interpretation. So, I mean, you, you have a picture of a uh, an American gentleman over there, a politician. What's mm. his name? Well, uh, Ron Paul, is it? Uh, it is Ron Paul, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Who's known publicly as a, a libertarian, but he's, uh, you know, I, I personally don't relate to him or his, his um, positions too closely, but, you know, and I, I don't necessarily see myself as a libertarian either, but, you know, you've prompted me to, to check it out, and as far as I'm concerned, libertarianism is some kind of uh, old-style liberalism. You know where where they value freedom, freedom of the individual, mm. uh, and you know freedom from coercion by by government mandate. So yes. on on that level, I yes. suppose yes, I I yeah. am in favour of it. Yeah,
0: based on our discussions, based on our had, discussions, which have culminated in, in you know
2: yeah.
0: yeah yeah Scott, have you got anything to add to to <laughs> <laughs> am I am I leaving something out here? Yeah.
1: No, I don't think you're leaving anything out here. I just don't think we're going to win. Um, you know, we have, we have both tried to get Paul to see the error of his ways and he won't see them. So I think we're stuck with it on this situation. But, yeah. uh, Look,
2: I totally appreciate that, that it's, a, it's a humiliation for people in, in that situation. And you've given a, a graphic description of the humiliation and I, I find it appalling that people would want to put other people through that. My point is... I am just deeply, deeply suspicious of governments telling us how to live and who, sh- who we should deal with in our in our lives. You know, deeply suspicious. Mm. And I, I, I still maintain that it is a, a kind of mandated morality. I mean, if that but cake I, I, no, shop owner, I draw the
0: line there because I'm not. I'm not I don't think to it's a the mandated morality either. I'm just telling them what they've got to do, mm. like it or not. I'm saying I don't expect you to like it. I'm just saying you've got to do it.
2: But isn't that, that what the, the Nazi Germany's... But, but when you're mandating morals... ...Nazi Germans you, 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 said you, you, to the German c- citizenry, like it or not, you've got to do it, you know?
0: Paul, like it or not, you've got to travel at 60 kilometres an hour when you leave this house. That's for public
2: safety. I, look, but, you know, as again... So,
0: so there are times when it's acceptable.
2: Absolutely. And, and, this, and this is why I, I don't so personally identify... Up. So it's
0: a weighing up of 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 competing rights. It,
2: it absolutely is, and it always will be, won't yes. it?
0: And that's why I'm saying, that's why I'm trying to illustrate to you mm. that simply going down the road to yeah. the blackfellow shop where you can get served yeah. does not solve the problem.
2: Yeah, and look, you know, I mean, if it came down to it, and 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 the cake shop owner was, you know, legally forced to sell the cake. I personally don't think that's going to do him a lot of injury, you know. So I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm taking an extreme position on that. Not, not really, because, you know, as that's you say, for, well, there's, there's always a trade-off. That's
0: we're my point. It is such a small we're never concession going to have, on his part to avoid a major indignity on somebody else's part. Yeah.
2: We're never going to a have a perfect thing, yeah. legal it's system. It's a small
0: concession for you to travel at 60k rather mm-hmm. than 80 Mm-hmm. For the major benefit of our society, of I agree. not Killing somebody on the way, I
2: totally agree.
0: So it's a small concession for a florist to sell a bunch of flowers, the same as thousands of other flowers have yeah. sold.
2: Yeah. Although a, 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 an indignity of being refused service is not the same as the indignity of, of um, you know, lying in a coffin because somebody drove too fast.
0: Ah, uh, that's true. But it's it's, still, it's on it's a different seri- level. It is, but it is a a serious matter. And being, but my point is, being asked to produce something that you would do for thousands of other people is not a, is, is is such a minor thing in the scheme of things.
2: I agree. To to so, us, it's so. a very minor thing. But to the cake shop owner, it might be a big thing. Mm. You know. Who are we to judge? Well, I
0: mean, well, we, well for we... some people, they love driving fast. Like, they really, really love driving fast. Mm. Like, it's just a passion.
2: Absolutely. It annoys
0: the heck out of them. So, but we say, well, too bad. Don't care. You're just can drive at 60 k on the way home. That's it's it's on a
2: different level of risk, though, isn't it? In terms well, of potentially killing people or potentially humiliating and um, upsetting people. Do, do you
0: know, like... I would rather live in a society where people are randomly driving 20 or 30 k's above the speed limit than a society where they're regularly refusing service to people because really? they're black or gay mm. and that they're having to regularly go to another shop to get service. Mm. I would much rather.
2: I still, I still maintain that those businesses would suffer, uh, their businesses would suffer a, a loss of custom when people got to know that they were discriminating against people. I, I genuinely think that we've come quite a long way in Australia in terms of our, our values. I, I, I really think most Australians would be appalled if, if a shop refused service to a person because they, of their, most, their race or their sexuality. And I reckon those businesses would suffer, so they would suffer the consequences.
0: most people running a kitchen... A commercial kitchen, a restaurant, mm-hmm. would keep the benches clean, change the oil regularly, make sure that the fridge operates at a good temperature, mm-hmm. throw stuff when it gets old. Like most people would. Yeah. But at some point, we had to pass laws where we said, you know what, we're going to come in and inspect mm-hmm. because there's enough of you who are doing this the wrong way mm. that we actually can't rely on uh, on just... Common sense dictating an appropriate response. We're going to send food inspectors in. We're going to inspect your kitchens. Mm-hmm. But that's and, public and safety. The market has not worked. That's public because safety. Because so many people are getting sick from salmonella and whatever mm. that just relying on the market saying, "Oh, don't go and eat it, Happy Joe's," because mm. you get sick. It doesn't work. The market doesn't solve this libertarian. The market will solve everything. Mm. It doesn't. And a lot of people get injured along the way. There we go. our dear listener, we'll move
2: on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, we're not going to solve this one, I don't think.
0: Speaking of uh, of debates that may not get solved, I had a lovely dinner with um, right-wing Tony the other night.
1: Oh, did you? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And uh, Tony mentioned a few things. One is he's against assisted dying legislation. Is he? he? Were you surprised? He is against abortion law reform, and really, he, he is also in favour of the death penalty. Wow! Like he rattled the three of them off. Wow! Pretty much in the one breath. Yeah. And I said, "Oh, Tony, there's a podcast in the making there." So, <laughs> yeah. so dear listener, at some stage in the near future.
2: Um, the death penalty is an interesting one, isn't it? Having, can, having can, sort of. Um, do you know, can I, I mention. Just with you, I'll, yeah. I'll work on Tony for that. A, as you know, I work in education and, yes. and I, have, um, I have students from various uh, foreign countries. Now, uh, a few days ago, I think, it was, I think it was late last week actually, late last week, the subject of um, um, capital punishment came up. Actually, it wasn't just about capital punishment. It was the subject of the Filipino president D- Duterte, mm-hmm. and um, the way he has licensed his police forces to become, you know, judge, jury, and executioner on the street. And apparently, according to reports, literally thousands of Filipinos have been shot in the streets by police. And uh, this subject came up in a, in a in a group I was working with and several of my latin american students well two two guys in particular not the females two guys in particular who were you know otherwise very amiable lovely friendly guys uh made some extraordinary statements and they they the, they were not joking about how yeah it's it's absolutely necessary to clean up the streets just go out and kill them go out and execute them And I I was quite taken aback. I I wasn't expecting it because, you know, we, we generally have very sort of warm and fuzzy relations and conversations. And a couple of guys were... They became suddenly very serious. Right. And they said, you don't know what it's like living in Latin America and it's absolutely necessary to take a hard line sometimes. And I'm like, well, and capital punishment? Yeah, yep, kill them. Just kill them. So there you go. I mean... It's sometimes surprising where these sorts of attitudes pop up, isn't it? Oh.
0: Mm. Yes, so, so right wing Tony and I will be doing battle at some stage over that.
1: Yeah, that really surprises me actually.
0: Mm. Anyway, next topic, dear listener, is an article titled Indigenous Cultural Appropriation What Not to Do. And this is by Angelina Hurley, a lecturer in Indigenous literacies at Victoria University. And she has a bit of a rant um, because Bob Catter apparently put a submission to Parliament to make it illegal for non-Aboriginals to non-Aborigines to purport to make or supply Aboriginal art. So she's referring to that and she's having a rant at people who are uh, are passing themselves... Well, uh, creating Aboriginal artwork who aren't actually Aboriginal. Mm -hmm. So I'll quote a little bit of it here, and I think 12 men will probably have a comment to say. Um, (laughs) I'll think of something. Yeah. Uh, In introducing a bill making it illegal to sell fake Indigenous art, CATA has reignited attention to artistic appropriation and rip-offs. But the stereotyping, disrespect and blatant theft of First Nations culture happens in many fields... The one that especially gets to me is hippie, new age, non-indigenous spiritualisation of our heritage. For example, WTF is a didgeridoo massage. Yep, dig therapy is a thing. Apparently, paying to have someone blow a didgeridoo over your body is reported to provide relief for a wide range of joint muscular and skeletal related pain as well as promote accelerated healing in various mm. forms of bone trauma. Seriously, <coughs> on hearing about this practice, many of my mob have suggested a preferred area of the human body where such therapists might concentrate on shoving their didgeridoos. Well,
2: that's a bit rude, isn't it? Well, so, Twelve, so... <laughs> is the Look, What's I, going I'm on curious, is, is the actual authenticity of the didgeridoos is that relevant? Is, I mean, if you get a an authentic didgeridoo, does it is it more efficacious in your your therapy? I
0: think what she's saying is she doesn't care whether it's legit a, a real didgeridoo, authentic or not. She's poo pooing the idea that blowing a didgeridoo over somebody could have a spiritual effect. I but mean, she's... she's just discounting the possibility that there are some. There's some extra special magic in a didgeridoo that she's not aware of. There's
2: a word for people like her. It starts with S. What is it? Sceptic or something? Well,
0: Good. <laughs> you know, but is she also the should word starting with C? should we be applauding with, her for that? Well, is she also the word starting with C? Consistent? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, well... Because,
0: you know, are you claiming all sorts of spirituality as part of your religious, you know, your spiritual Aboriginal belief, Mm. but then discounting somebody else's sort of spiritual possibilities that might incorporate your artefacts?
2: And is she proposing some sort of theory of uh, inheritability for this special spirituality, and that unless you... Uh, directly descended from Indigenous people, you, you you just wouldn't have the power. You wouldn't have that sort of a, that innate ability to project the spirituality over the various body parts.
0: Well, let's just see what else she says. So anyway, she doesn't like the idea that it, of a didgeridoo massage. You know, I'm not sure what she thinks of Dreamtime and Ooh. and serpents and all the rest of it. But didgeridoo <laughs> massage, not on.
2: I'm intrigued by the title of her position.
0: Aboriginal uh, Lecturer in Indigenous Literacies. Yes. What do you suppose that's about? Uh, indigenous stories.
3: Oh, okay. Again? Yes,
2: nice. but the the word literacy has a different meaning, doesn't it? It's not about stories.
0: Oh, it's in this about... new age, 12 men, they like to use big words. <laughs> oh, okay. Just make things sound important. Okay, all right. It's like... Uh, discourse is used a lot I like the word discourse I hate the word discourse really? you like discourse? I'm joking oh <laughs> <my> god <laughs> honestly I looked at my kids when they, they had grade 12 and grade 11 English uh, assignments and, and they had
2: to use the word discourse well
0: the questions and the uh, you know sort of setting out of what they had to write in their yeah. essay the word discourse would be used endlessly in it and often I found that the the task sheets for the English mm. subjects
2: contain some of the worst English I've ever read in my life. And we lost Scott again. We lost him again, yeah. Yeah, yeah look, you know, I, I, I neither like nor dislike the word, frankly, but it has its place, you know, but when, Dis- when used Dis- appropriately and in the correct context. Dear so, listener,
0: internet's dropping out on me here and we're just having to sort of re construct our discussions after two minute breaks but 12th man <laughs> the word discourse you and i are both agreeing can we agree on its, oh, it's a terrible
2: word no no i don't think it's a terrible word i just think it's overused by some people right okay i mean words are just words you know i i like to think that each word has its place in the language Yes, well,
0: some words have no place, I think, in discourse is one of them. But Angelina Hurley, what else does she have to say? She talks about, uh, one of her complaints is about identity and connection. She says, I know this is a very sensitive area of discussion because of the stolen generations, but don't try to relate to me by announcing some newfound distant Ancestry.com connection or relation to a First Nations person. She's poo-pooing. People who are claiming Aboriginal ancestry from perhaps several generations ago, yes. where they sort of lost their ancestry and have refound it, she's saying not good enough.
2: It's, uh, do, do, do you think she's being a little bit um, unreasonable? I mean, what about our, our friend from Tasmania, Jackie Lambie? Mm. Um, claiming to be Aboriginal and yes. a member of the tribe, and the tribe
0: in the said, never heard of you. <laughs> This woman here says that uh, that doesn't make you black because proximity is not a valid criterion. It's commonly known that identifying as Aboriginal is complex and there's much more involved. Mm. It's a lived experience. Wow, there so you So if go. you've just done like Samantha Riley, the Olympic swimmer, found out recently that she has Aboriginal heritage oh. and is embracing it. Yes. According to this woman.
2: Lived uh, experience. That's that's really the theme of, um, of, of social theory over the last several years, isn't it? The lived experience. Yeah. Rather than... You've got to be authentic. Well, rather than, you know, solid uh, um, academic theory, just talk about your lived experience. I
0: don't know. I wonder if Angelina Hurley living somewhere in a cosy spot, you know, lecturing at... Victoria University mm. is really living I a mean, lived experience
2: lived. A, an authentic indigenous lived experience you think
0: uh, Well, we'll find out later in this episode mm. there are some people who might say that she isn't mm. um, language she doesn't like sis, sister, bro, bala, deadly gammon, cuz oh it's just torture to my ears I'm not your sis, you're not my bro uh, I'm not your cuz uh, white people can't use
2: those words because they belong to black people. Yeah, well, I, I like her use of the word black. I mean, what does she mean by that exactly?
0: Appropriating First Nations tattoo designs.
1: Our Indigenous people never used to a tattoo, though, did they? Not as I far
2: think. as I know. No, they used to um, cut the skin and put... Uh, ash wood ash into the wound and when it healed you'd get these raised bumps on the skin right so they had a different type of um body decoration not tattooing as such right so she
0: doesn't like it when people appropriate first nations tattoo designs braided hair overuse of spray tanning (laughs) (laughs) Collagen lips, red, black, and yellow, everything. It doesn't make you blend in. You just stand out like a wannabe First Nations queen of the desert. <laughs> wow. Uh, um, let's just see. She really, music, she doesn't like the didgeridoo being appropriated by other people. Do you know, there's some beautiful music has been made by Aboriginal people using a guitar. Absolutely. There's some fantastic
2: music. Yeah, and look... Should, should we, we be should we be poo pooing her for wearing bloody European clothes and shoes and things like that? I mean, for goodness sake, does she not realise that you know human human people human cultures throughout the ages have been borrowing, copying, and stealing, if you want to put it that way, each other's ideas and um, And cultural creations, and it's it's always been thus. Taking the good,
0: discarding the bad, evolving. That's that's what cultures are allowed to evolve. That's
2: what it's all about, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she finishes off. The exploitation of First Nations art, culture, and heritage continues to be rife. Appropriation has become so commonplace that it has even infiltrated the practices of our own First Nation artists e.g. copying other nations' visual art style and design and producing artefacts and materials that originate from that nation. I don't know exactly what she's talking about there, but...
2: The didgeridoo. I, I, I may be wrong, but I have, I'm under the impression the didgeridoo was not uh, used all over continental Australia, was it?
0: Oh, perhaps only certain tribes. Other certain tribes
2: regions, to, yeah. I, I believe, but I may be wrong. I don't
0: know, but I mean... For goodness sake, Aboriginal artists uh, are sitting in remote areas with the canvas imported from China. And I don't think canvas was a traditional surface for Aboriginal artists. Nor was acrylic a thousand paint. thousand years ago. Exactly. A gessoed, <laughs> a gessoed piece of canvas and a hog hair brush and acrylic paint using all sorts of pigments that you would never find in traditional
2: in fact they and,
0: and good luck to them, like fair yeah, and why not indeed them? yes but don't you see don't you see
2: the Angelina, H word. the yeah. hypocrisy exactly. of your position, the nonsense of it all it's not just hypocrisy it's um it, it's it's kind of blindness isn't it blindness to the bleeding obvious
0: yes yeah. so anyway um it's good to get that off our chest, isn't it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Better than getting a tattoo off your chest, that's for sure. She
0: says here at the end, it saddens me and leaves me with a sense of loss that we can't discern between cultural exchange and cultural appropriation. But that's another story. Well, you're right. You
2: cannot discern. And it saddens me. <laughs> for goodness sake. It saddens me that we have such underqualified people in uh, in. Places of higher learning, and you know, people like this do ha- make an impression on impressionable young students. Mm.
0: Dear idea. Meanwhile, on the same topic, a complaint from some Aboriginal groups that urban, in urban, Aboriginal groups are are appropriating funds that are needed for the remote communities. So, in this article, um, Cosseted urbanites who belatedly self-identify as Indigenous are ripping much-needed funds from the pockets of their disadvantaged brethren in remote communities farther north, according to one of the nation's highest-profile Aboriginal bodies. This is the Yothu Yindi Foundation. We'll call it the YYF. Representatives said exponential growth in the Indigenous identifying populations of southern states, over and above that attributable to natural factors, was draining away money from the Northern Territory. We spoke about this in the census, Scott. We did, yeah. Yeah, with the incredible... Increase in Aboriginal numbers in the states. Are there personally. any
2: examples of, you know, where this money is being drained off to and for what purpose?
0: Um, it's to do with the split up uh, of GST revenue that is allocated according to formulas, and I believe the formula takes into account Aboriginal populations. Yes? Really? Yeah, and so what they're complaining about is that. Applying that formula, because of the newfound Aboriginal populations in urban areas, Mm. uh, money is going there rather than to the Northern Territory.
2: Yeah, yeah. But for what purpose? For housing? For education?
0: Let me read a bit further and see if there's an answer to that. But um, the Yothu Yindi Foundation representatives uh, were concerned about identity fraud and called for greater efforts to distinguish degrees of need among the Aboriginal population. We believe the self-identification provision in the census is encouraging people to come forward for reasons of their own. Some of those reasons might be to do with the work of genealogists. If there was an Indigenous ancestor 200 years ago, suddenly an entirely new family appears on the census data as Indigenous. Um, Goes on to say, A double university degree, double income family in their own house in Parramatta should have much lesser value in the weighting that the CGC, which is the Commonwealth Grants Commission, would give to an Indigenous family as compared with a family consisting of several intergenerational levels of welfare dependency, mm-hmm. all unemployed and in a humpy, in a remote community like papapanya Papunya. So what he's getting at is the formula just talks about being Aboriginal, that all sorts of people are now claiming to be Aboriginal. Yeah. And they're not needy in any sense in the way compared, for example, with people in remote communities. The yeah. whole well, I mean, point it... is we should not be allocating funds to people just because they're black or they're Aboriginal or they've got some sort of racist gene... Coursing through their veins, it should be because they need help, not because of the colour of their skin. This That's is the problem when here, you allocate. He
2: this agree. This yeah. is the
0: problem when you allocate funds according to race. People will claim to be of that race. Of
2: course, they will.
0: And they won't need it necessarily. And not, and
2: not only that, but the, I think part of the point made was that there are some Indigenous people who just don't need help. You know, who are doing very well. Thank you very much. Exactly. And I've I've personally known of, well, one person, no name mentioned who was university educated, had a good job as a high school teacher. And I was told by a mutual friend that this person was entitled to a very low-interest housing loan mm-hmm. on the basis of her Indigenous heritage. No doubt. And, um, I mean, she, she didn't come across as being particularly um, Indigenous, you know, mm. in, the, in the obvious sorts of ways... She just seemed like another Aussie to me.
0: But, you know, even if she did like that, you know, the problem is with these sorts of rules, someone like Jonathan Thurston would be entitled to a low interest... Highway, well,
2: that's right, you know, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I, look, I wholly agree with the, the notion that uh, that sort of help should go to those who are in genuine need, not just um, based on, as you say, their, um, their heritage.
0: Yeah, have you, been, have you heard enough from bleeding heart left-wingers lately? Would you just like to hear a little bit more? from. No, I haven't
2: heard very much lately. <laughs> I've been avoiding them. I've got
0: one, I've got one here for you. <laughs> Fatima Misham, uh writing an article here in Eureka Street titled Australia's Original Sin.
2: Oh, yes.
0: Oh, yeah. Fatima writes... This December I will have lived in Melbourne for 17 years. The anniversary prompts reflection and there would be reasons to say that Australia has been good to me, but it is also a country that breaks you. Gosh. The pattern of recent years has been constant deferment on the things that matter to Aboriginal peoples. So much flows from original sin. This is the key part of this, original sin. It's... it We, as all white people are are suffering from original sin in the same way that we are suffering from the sin of of Adam that's and what eve. original sin is supposed is, to be it is isn't it it's a sin that has been transferred down through the generation. adam
2: and eve disobeying god yes but uh, you know and it's transferred onto us now yes <sighs>
0: and the same the same is happening in relation to aboriginal people and the and the sins of of white people of 20, bit, 50 years ago are far sins. removed from the Garden
2: of Eden, isn't it, down in Australia? Yeah, the
0: concept's the same. I hadn't thought of it this way, but it's mm. just interesting that the concept is exactly the same. So who the committed the sin? The guilt that the we sin? are feeling is the same as the guilt of religious original sin.
2: Oh, I see, yes. Yeah, mm. it
0: should be. She says here, um, it seems entirely possible that reconfiguring our relationship with First Nations people, perhaps even centralising it, would give us the language and impetus to reconfigure everything else, including the way we resolve conflict, think about environment and make decisions about vulnerable members of our society. So basically, if we sort out our Aboriginal issues, everything else will fall into place.
2: But it's a bit of a flawed logic, isn't it? I mean, the original sin was where Adam and Eve disobeyed God, so the way that they needed to fix that was to um, seek forgiveness, forgiveness from God. So are we to then seek forgiveness from our Indigenous people as if they are our God? It's a, it's a strange logic, isn't it? There's no logic to it. Oh, I see. <laughs> it, There's not supposed to be any logic to it. No, just just
0: whip yourself. It just sounds
2: dramatic.
0: It's got good Catholic guilt in it, yeah. actually. It's reeking with, <laughs> this is reeking with Catholic guilt <laughs> this
2: article, actually. Yeah, but it's a, it's a pretty sort of heavy sort of um, s- symbolism, isn't it, really?
0: She's, she's got some sort of ethnic heritage here. She says, um, for a while I made the mistake of thinking that the terrible things done to Indigenous peoples was something that white people did. The truth is that my being here is part of an ongoing history of colonisation. It's not an guess. easy thing to live with. The idea that I ultimately benefit from the disposition of Indigenous peoples no matter how much I believe myself to be on their side. Here's, here's the part I really wanted to get to after all this. Language warning coming up, dear listener. There's kiddies around. Come back to us later. Her last yeah. line here is, the very least I can do, perhaps, is to say it is time to make them the priority. Well, you're right, Fatima. It's the fucking least you could do. Like, <laughs> it's just words. It's just, oh, you've whipped yourself, you know, on the pages of the Eureka blog and... You've issued a few words and you said how sorry you are. The very least I can do is perhaps to say it is time to make them the priority. It's the least you can do. Words are cheap, Fatima. Go and sell all your stuff. Go and give it away to Aboriginal communities and go and live with them. That's right. If you want to do something. Go and serve
2: them for the rest of your life.
0: But if you really want to know what the least is that you can do is you could write something on the Eureka blog wringing your hands with the guilt of your original sin.
2: It's virtue signalling, oh, writ large, isn't it?
0: It is. Just, it is. Just, well, you know, you've got to admire people who've got proper, the real religious nutters who genuinely, you know, are missionaries <laughs>
2: in that, at least... As misguided as they are, the ones who yeah, actually have got something dedicate their actual yeah. lives on this planet, yes. their only one life, as we know, that they yes. have. And they actually sacrifice it, give it up to go and help other people who are less fortunate than yeah, themselves.
0: sacrifice something. That's it. Fatima, go and sacrifice something. Because words are cheap. And you've just spat out a bunch of them that mean nothing.
2: Right. She does look young, though. Maybe she'll, um, yeah. you know, she'll mature, mature a bit intellectually in the, in the future and, and realise the, just the emptiness of, of what she's doing here. Do you think? I don't know. <laughs> Let's hope.
0: <laughs> I won't hold my breath. Dear mm. listener, uh, now, was this last week or the week before we were talking about homeschooling? No, mm. it was last week. It was last week? hmm a- a- And... We sort of just made a quick statement saying probably most people who are homeschooling are doing it for religious reasons because they don't want their kids to be Hmm. um, contaminated with with the ideas of either the non-religious or other religions. Exactly. And received, dear listener, a voicemail message from uh, Deep Throat. So uh, I'll play this for you.
3: Yo, fist and twelfth. This is Deep, with a fact check on a comment in the last podcast about homeschooling religiosity, plus a bonus fact on homeschooling numbers in Australia. Registered homeschoolers make up 0.45% of the school population, and the best I can ascertain if you include the unregistered is 1.5% and possibly 2%, but this number is uncertain. I have found surveys from three different sources for the number of parents in Australia who give religious reasons for homeschooling. 2002, 20%. 2010, 17%. 2013, 10.6%. The overwhelming reason given for homeschooling was that schools were doing a shit job. As for statistics in America... When religion is given as the primary reason for homeschooling, we have from the same survey source, 2007, 37%. 2016, 34%. However, in 2016, 51% of homeschooling parents did give as part of their motivation a desire to provide religious instruction. So there we have it. This is Deep Throat, over and out. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Good on you, deep right?
2: Only, what was it, 10% or something? Yeah, 10%. Yeah, 10% we're religious, yeah. Yeah. That's surprising, isn't
1: it? It is very surprising, yeah, because it's, it's 10% of such a small population, so
2: that's negligible, really, isn't it? Have you ever met or known people who homeschooled? Yes. And what do you think was their motivation? Religion. Yeah, I've Without I've only doubt. come across... A very small number. Mm -hmm. Religion was absolutely the reason, I'm sure.
0: Mm. Now, we mentioned uh, people living in remote areas and we thought they might be part of this, but remote area doesn't count as homeschooling because they are distance education, Mm. so they don't come into it. But I quickly googled some stuff in response to um, Deep Throat's voicemail message and I got a statistic from New South Wales which put religious at 8.8%, but some of the other categories, it had philosophical, 25%, nil response, 21%, special learning needs, 21%, other, 21%. I reckon, okay, so we've got 8.8 religious, but philosophical and other makes up 46%. Mm. It's a bit suspicious. Call isn't it? me suspicious. But I reckon some of those are religious, like philosophical. Well, philosophically, philosophical. Want, I, I could be my, religious. Yeah, I absolutely. don't want my kids meeting, you know, heathens. Mm. It could be And other. So, um, and a nil response of twenty-one. So, there's a good sort of sixty-seven percent significant number could be religious. But anyway...
2: Deep. I'm, I'm a bit surprised it isn't higher, frankly.
0: The, the religious one? Mm. Yeah, well, that's right. But they could be hidden in those other categories. Mm. Yeah.
2: They could um, have chosen... They just didn't want to talk about it yeah. and gave another reason.
0: So, Deep throw. He's an interesting guy, Deep Throat. He's got interest in all sorts of funny things. Uh, well, not funny things, but just different... Archery and medieval shoemaking and clearly Mm. homeschooling is one of his interests because he sent me a sort of a four or five page document with his facts and figures on it so there'll be a link on the website if you want to look at that (laughs) medieval um,
2: shoemaking that's an interesting one yeah he's he's an interesting kind of deep throat Mm.
0: so uh, so yeah definitely we perhaps overstated how many people were Mm. uh, doing it for religious reasons and perhaps Uh, While there might have been religious reasons in the past, the statistics seem to show that that's becoming less of a reason. Mm. Or perhaps people are less willing to say that's their reason. Mm. Next uh, topic, just a brief one. Um, Prisoners at a Queensland jail will be allowed to drink communion wine after officials... um, well, what did they say? They bent a statewide alcohol ban to allow them to partake in communion services. What do you think, 12th Man, about special dispensations for Christians in jail to have a bit well, of alcohol?
2: Do you know? I think I think it's an act of cruelty because you know those those who participate, they'll get one little taste. You know, you only, you're only supposed to take a sip. And, and then they'll get a taste for it and, and no more will be forthcoming. Yes. I think it's, it's a big tease, you know, on, the, on these poor prisoners <laughs> because they're, they're, you know, what can they do about it? Oh, I want more, you know. Yes. Oliver I Twist type that, deal. Yes,
1: I found that ridiculous because when I grew up in the Presbyterian church, we got little shot glasses of grape juice. You know, they weren't, you didn't drink from the same cup, you were given little shot glasses of grape juice. So why the hell couldn't they just have grape juice for their communion wine? Yeah.
2: Mm. And there are yeah. churches that, you know, that have a pretty hard line on alcohol who do in fact use grape juice rather than yeah. real wine. Yeah. yeah. Good point. But to me in that. Do you know it's what occurred to tease. me when I was reading that? was, you know, what if some ornery prisoner, he gets there, you know, he fakes being religious to get into the communion. Yeah. <laughs> and he gets there and, and then he's earned it. As and far as I'm concerned, and the priest hands him the cup and he skulls it. You know, I mean, what do they do? Do they do the guards come out with their nightsticks and beat him to a pulp for drinking too much?
0: Perhaps he's only given a little shot glass. Maybe that's why Scott was only given a little shot glass of grape juice because the priest was worried he was going to sco- scoff the whole container. <laughs> oh boy, we've gone over time, haven't we, dear listener? <laughs> we better stop. Let's, nobody will ever tune in again if we just keep rambling on. Oh. Oh, now, listen, dear listener, uh, if you're a patron, thanks so much. You know who you are. Very appreciated. I'll read out some names uh, next week, I'm sure. But thank you for your continued support. Uh, thank you
1: very much. We do appreciate it. We've
0: got a Christmas show coming up at some stage. Have you got any special requests? For- Party hats. Right. <laughs> Anything you'd like in particular for a Christmas show uh, Send in your requests uh, And um, Voicemail messages Love those So similar to what Deep Throat gave for us tonight Hop on the website You can leave a voicemail message Love those You can leave a review or a testimonial as well There's directions on doing that And otherwise you can just send us a message If you want to as well um good on you. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye for now.
1: Thanks very much. Bye now. See ya.
0: Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favor to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast you'll be discussing